What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Big pocket. Fox again. Goodbye. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse NBA podcast of the Pulse Podcast Network. I am one of your hosts, Brendan Nunez, and I am here with Rich from Sacktown Royalty. What is up, man? How you doing? Doing good, Brendan. A little bummed out that the first game I got to watch in a few days uh, ended up the way that it did, but that's life. Yeah, I can't blame you. I was sadly at that game, and it was a fun environment. You know, I spent a lot of time watching Shumpert, seeing how he was interacting with the guys. He was really interested in watching the entire introduction for the for the Kings guys and all that. Looked like he wanted to be on the other side of the court. And him and Buddy, Fox, Willie, Bagley all interacting. So that was cool to see. And that might have been the highlight of the game, to be honest. With Houston going 130-105, I mean, what were the major things that stood out to you in this one? Rough one. At least you got that headband giveaway. Exactly. <laughs> There's something to come away with. This was a rough one. Overall, I am urged with the play in this game, but I think that a lot of it is a matchup thing. You know, looking at the styles of these two teams, to get out and run, and I think that that kind of plays into the the Rockets' strengths in some ways, where the Rockets are kind of matchup hunters. Harden on Bielitsa or Willie, they want to get Chris Paul. You know, Chris, these guys can pretty much force any matchup that they want, even when they're in the half court. But when they are themselves and they're running it back down the Kings' throats, they really can get some crazy matchups in transition. And it felt like the Kings defense was scrambling. Yeah, there were times that the rotations were a little slow or miscommunications there. The Rockets shot 61 threes, which is just insane. They made 26 of them. I want to say that the record is theirs. They set this season at 28, so they were barely off of that. And the Kings shot 23, which is a little under their average. But to me, I mean, you need to get more threes up if you want to keep up with this Houston team, especially when you shoot a good percentage. I felt like Buddy was heating up. I want to say he had 10 points in the first quarter alone and then didn't get the ball enough. I felt like there was a lack of ball movement, which led to not getting open shots. CP3 and Harden had 22 assists just between themselves and the Kings had 19 total. I felt like the offense just wasn't there. And like you said, neither was the defense. A lot of it was effort on both sides here. The switching defense of the Kings, that style of defense is not. The Kings are a team that already struggled with defense in the half court. And then when you catch them on their heels in transition and you start switching these guys around, it really becomes a problem. Bielitsa is, you know, he's a really smart player, but... There's nothing that he can do against Chris Ball or James Harden. A little bit lost sometimes on the switch. Even guys like Buddy. What was crazy to me is, you know, the Rockets got into their thing, which is basically Harden dribbling at the top of the key and then kind of doing what he wants. But 
they run so many screens and they switch guys around so much that it was like the first possession was Harden had Bielitsa and then he had Willie and then he had Buddy and it just felt like he was just testing the waters and he's like, all right, I want to get this guy on me, see what I can do against him. And then basically find the weak spot in the defense and kick the ball over there if he doesn't see what he wants. And it was rough. Yeah, it was definitely rough. I mean, they had their way with this this Kings team for sure. And as you mentioned, the Rockets have this down to an art. They're taking threes or they're finishing at the rim. And that is the Kings have done, certainly not last year. I believe they led the league in mid-range shots. And this year it has not been much better. They were dead last in pace, uh, 30th in the league last year. They're all the way up to third right now. Huge change, revolutionary change. But the other change that I think a lot of Kings fans wanted to see was taking more threes, and that hasn't happened. And they are still a little slight improvement, but they're 25th in the league this year on the three-point frequency thing. And do you feel like that's a system thing, or is it just certain players not taking those shots? I mean, we saw Bagley throw up a couple more this game, but he's not one to usually be shooting a lot from beyond the arc. Neither is Fox, but they both seem pretty capable. So would you put it more so on the individual players or kind of the system? Put this one on the system. It does feel like Dave Yeager is into the mid-range game. He's He runs offenses that have a lot of elbow touches, a lot of high post touches. He likes to work Willie out of the high post. Um, and now we see Bagley doing the same thing. I mean, these are guys that can absolutely hit threes. Obviously, you got Buddy, but, you know, as a whole, the team was fourth out of 30 in three-point percentage last year, and they are third best in the league at hitting threes, and they are fourth best in the league at hitting threes this year. So, but I don't think this is like, the you know, these players can't shoot threes, so they, they won't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is it's not about ability I think it's I think it is more of a system thing yeah and I think I mean I'm willing to see that percentage dip a little bit just to get more up I mean when teams are shooting 60 in a game which obviously is a bit of an anomaly but you got to be able to keep up with this Houston team and like you said we've known struggled against these guys 0-4 on the season losses by 20-26 the last one was nine a few games ago and then 25 tonight total of 80 point difference I mean this team just seems like they have our number and there were times where it felt like they were going to come back in this game uh we touched on the last Houston game that when they switched Fox onto Harden instead of Buddy the defense was a lot better there and they started Fox on Harden this game I thought he did an okay job but there's only so much you can do I mean Nobody can defend Harden for 24 seconds when he's dribbling at the top, getting those screens from guys like like Tucker and Capella. Um, for me, they were coming back at times. Like There was a run near the end of the third quarter a little bit in there, kind of middle late, and then they cut it to 12 points. There's some energy in the stadium, and then you blink in Houston, got a steal, made a layup, and hit a three, and all of a sudden it's 20 again. And it, it just felt like if there was a couple moments of just getting stops, they could not stop them all game long, that they would have had the momentum. And it felt like when Fox went out, that all the pace disappeared, that they didn't get out in transition this game. And I mean, they did a good job getting to the paint. They had 62 points in the paint, but it, it just... The team is so different with Fox on and off the floor. It's a good point. Certainly, he is the leader of the team. He's the identity of the team. Something that's curious to me about Fox and his role on the team, Dave Vigor's rotations, someone pointed this out to me. Since they did, I can't stop seeing it. And it's that Fox comes back into games so late in the second and fourth quarters at times. It sometimes feels like Fox is getting too long of a rest. He came out of the game with three minutes left to go in the first quarter. And then he was out for a full 10 minutes of game time with five minutes left in the second quarter. Not crazy, not a crazy rotation there, but sometimes it's worse than that. And what what happens when you give Fox 10 minutes off in the first half, a huge stretch like that, even when the bench does a decent job staying above water 
game can kind of get away from you and without Fox ever getting his full run. He only played 24 minutes in this one, and that's because he came in and played the first nine minutes of the third quarter. And then when he came out, the game was, was done. You know yeah. what I mean? He, he, when he, by the time it would have been appropriate to bring him back into the fourth, it was already 25 point lead. You know, it's pretty much nothing you can do about that, but it's disappointing to me a little bit that is only getting 24 minutes in a game that, you know, is still meaningful. It, we're out of the playoffs. The Kings are out of the playoffs. All that said, this team really needs to win 40 games this year. That still feels majorly important to me. So I would have liked to see in the second there. Yeah, and the defensive difference between him and Yogi. I mean, CP3 can just get Yogi on the low block and back him down, shoot over him whenever he wants, or even push through him. Anybody matched up with Yogi on that Houston team is going to take it to him. So... It really, I mean, there's that offensive difference in the pace, but the defense is night and day between Fox and Yogi, of course. The main thing that stood out to me in this, though, I was so frustrated with Cauley Stein the entire game. He really can't be bothered to put his hands above his shoulders. Like, there were times where passes were just going right over his head from CP3 and Harden that... Literally, if you put your hands in the air, you're stopping that. Like, you don't even need to have instincts necessarily. You just need to care enough to do that. And on offense, I want to say he had five or six mid-range shots off the dribble. I didn't understand. I can think of one specifically. Buddy was open coming off a handoff. And Cully Stein fake gives it to him, does this behind-the-back move, and then just pulls up and bricks it. And actually, I think he might have made the shot, but I was still upset. I mean, like, that's not his game. And I didn't understand why that was happening so many times this game. I think those are the two things that people have an issue with with Willie. It's pestering on defense, not keeping his hands up, not trying to affect every single play, taking positions off essentially on defense. And then, yeah, the the decision-making on offense, unacceptable. I mean, can you imagine if he was on the Rockets, like that would be so completely unacceptable for him to be taking those shots. Oh yeah. They don't want anyone taking mid-range shots, much less Willie Collie Stein. I wonder what Dave Yeager would have to say about that, if he's okay with those shots. He did have for a very long time who was pretty good at those shots in an, an era there that the mid-range jumper was not shunned in the way that it is today. I wonder if there's a little bit of antiquated thought there. Although, at the same time, I really don't think that Davis on the sidelines like, yeah, that's a great shot. Good luck, Willie. Yeah. Take another one of those. It's tough. And there was a few times I also saw him get fed down low, and he would just put up a shot without kind of looking at the basket first. Their play, I I didn't write down when it was, but he just – he got the ball – and there was no help coming for the defender. It may have been Farid on him, uh, but he looked kind of scared and he rushed it. He just, he didn't even turn his head. He just, he just kind of jumped up, half jumped awkwardly, threw up a little hook shot. And he had plenty of space to work if he had, you know, taken a second to assess the situation. And defensively, one play stands out to me where he got switched onto Harden, which you already know is a bucket, but. He's taken away his left side, like a lot of people are doing to Harden now. And Harden kind of fakes to go to the right a little bit. And Cauley Stein doesn't react at all. So then Harden just actually goes, and he literally walks, jogs to a free right-handed layup. And Willie just walks right behind him. Like, it's it's not like he doesn't have the defensive capabilities. And that's really the most frustrating part of him, is that he has all this potential that is just untapped. Like... You have to try in order to reach your max potential. And even if you don't, you know, Cully Sign seems like he has all these off-court things that he's really into. That I, you know, I don't want to speculate how much time he puts into ball, whatever. But it, it really just doesn't feel like he wants to be that upper echelon player. It's tough. I think he wants to get that upper echelon money. Yeah. I know that for sure. Yeah. Grant and Doug pointed out that play you're talking about, and I believe he even, uh, Harden was even fouled on the at the end of that play because that's, that's what happens. If you give 
a free run to James Harden at the basket, help defense is going to come, and they're probably going to be swinging their arms and hacking and desperately trying to stop it. So, yeah, I mean, that's how you set up a three-point play. Harden, and for James Harden, the three-point play is three points. I mean, that's what he does. Yeah, and normally you see him with a lot of free throws. Houston as a team had less free throws than Sacramento did this game. But, of course, Sacramento didn't hit him at a good rate, as usual, um, which wouldn't have been enough to bring him back in on this one. But that was, I mean, that was the main takeaways from the game. It really was, at the end, CP3 closed it out, put it out a distance. Harden did what he does the whole time. Bad effort on both sides from the Kings. And, yeah. And then after, you're right. go ahead. I also wanted to just throw this out there. Um, people are, are already aware of it, but the other takeaway, one other takeaway from the game is that uh, Harry Giles, it was announced, will be shut down for the rest of the season, which is, is and frustrating, but probably smart, you know? Yeah. Makes me sad, though. I mean, I love watching that guy's game, seeing him progress. Young guys are really exciting to watch. Yeah. So this morning, we saw an article come out from Jason Anderson. Touching on Cauley Stein and Bagley both a little bit, Bagley's role, the things his dad has been saying. But just to kind of touch on the Cauley Stein a bit there, there was a quote from Cauley Stein saying, I don't want to be here. And it was portrayed as Cauley Stein saying that he didn't want to be in Sacramento. And that got a lot of backlash from other people like Matt George, who was there and saying that it was mainly because a crazy amount of media ran up to him. And of course, after getting blown out, everybody wants to leave the stadium. No one wants to stick around. So Cauley Stein looked over at Bagley, said, I don't want to be here. And with his looming free agency, got twisted, taken the wrong way. This is a tough one. I read this article when it was posted this morning. And it's pretty brutal and it's pretty, I don't even know how to, really categorize it. It's a weird article from Jason Anderson. And I, I want to give, because he, I think he has been doing a nice job covering the beat this year overall, but he is pretty blatant in this article at, at the top of the article that he wants to, to mix it up, that he wants to stir up some, I mean, if you'll allow me just to read this first paragraph, it just reads kind of odd. Uh, for the first two, the first two paragraphs, it says, people in various parts of the world have customarily broken plates in times of celebration and times of mourning. So this will be an appropriate exercise, no matter how you view what the Kings are about to experience. Honestly, the China is starting to show some cracks anyway, as the Kings prepare to play host to the Cleveland Cavaliers on Thursday. So let's throw down a few plates on the floor to see what breaks and what doesn't. Yeah, I mean, like you said, just looking to stir up a little bit of drama, which is not needed with this Kings team right now. Not needed, not helpful, and not even real. With regards to this quote from Kali Stein, I mean, my my initial take on it is that it would be absurd for Willie Kali Stein to say, I can't wait to get out of here, meaning the city of Sacramento, uh, four games before the season's over. I mean, it would be pretty big news. And if that's exactly what he said and exactly what he meant, it would be a big headline on its own to kind of throw it out there and to was first published this piece. That was the context that it was given in. Jason has since gone back and edited the piece to the wording and he even said, quote, I suppose it's possible he was simply saying he wanted to leave the locker room, but that's not how I heard it. Which to me, if you're if you're going to put that forward based on how you heard it, you should probably follow up with some questions about that to him and then, yeah. and then print those responses. Um, and again, so he's changed the article to, I think, backpedal a little bit on the meaning of that statement. But I am a little bit disturbed by that statement and, and whether it's true or not, whether that's what he meant or not. I feel like it's something that any player would would feel or say to a fellow teammate after a blowout loss. Yeah, I want to I get out of here. I want to get out 
into the parking lot. I want to go, you know, be with my family and friends. And, and I, I don't want to, this was not a fun experience for me losing this badly at home. Yeah. It's the same way I took it there. I mean, like you I'm said, sure. why would Willie come out right before the season ends, say, I don't want to be in Sacramento? I'm sure fans are saying that to each other on their way, you know, down the escalators. I can't wait to get out of here. Oh, yeah. I was that doesn't mean <laughs> last five minutes of that away. game sitting in my seat, I was ready to leave. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I don't want to take shots at him, but over at Sacktown Royalty, the managing editor over there, Akira Kostis, forgive my pronunciation, wrote response, I guess you'd call it, to that. And that was published this morning. Has a, a lot of great points. So please go check that out at sacktownroyalty.com. Yeah, I, I guess that's all I really want to. I don't want to give too much airtime to, to the whole situation. Yeah. And something else that was touched on in the article that I wanted to dive into a little bit. He talked about how Bagley's dad has been publicly unhappy with the opportunity he's getting. Um, I know that Bagley put out a picture of himself in a King's uniform and in his Duke uniform. His dad goes and comments, the one in white had opportunity. The white was the Duke uniform. And throughout the whole year, he's kind of talked at Jaeger a little bit indirectly, mainly via Instagram, uh, sometimes deleting messages, sometimes not. But I kind of wanted to take that and dive into Bagley's minutes and his role as this number two pick. Um, he's seventh in the team according to the article in minutes per game, uh, 25 minutes a game. And that's gone up since the break. He's sitting at 27 now. And just to compare, he's 11th. And this is according to basketball reference. I know sometimes they take a little bit to update, might be a day outdated, something like that. He's 11th in the rookie minutes per game. And a lot of what I take from this is that Sacramento was the only team on this list to have a nice record. The top five rookies, Aiton, 30 minutes a game, but an 18 and 60 record. Doncic, 32 minutes per game, 31 and 46. It's a bit better, but they weren't looking for a playoff run. Trey Young, 30.9 minutes a game, but 28 and 50, one of the worst teams. Jaron Jackson Jr. obviously went down with injury, but in the 58 games he played, 26 minutes a game, 31 and 46. So for Bagley to be sitting at 25 with chasing 500, looking for playoffs, that's not too upsetting for me. And especially kind of like we talked about, I like him in that bench role where he can be the focus, where that wouldn't happen in the starting lineup. And it clearly did something for him. I think at the beginning of the year that he definitely is one of the more raw rookies. And at the beginning he would tunnel vision a little much. He he just had some fine-tuning to do, and we've seen that improve, and I think part of that has been because he's had this short leash that he realized he can't make these mistakes. Um, the only rookie that I will point out in the minutes per game that was higher than him and an exception to being on not a bad team was Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And he's got 26 minutes a game, which is just a minute a game above Bagley. But obviously, Clippers are doing great. He started 69 of their games, um, which is insane. And it's not like that they don't have a good point guard. They have Beverly behind him with the Clippers sitting at 47 wins. But overall, I mean, I haven't been too upset with the minutes per game Bagley was getting. I felt frustrated at first, but now I kind of understand why. I am a little bit torn playing time for Bagley. I think that there's a great point to be made for handling of Darren Fox last season. He did not start right away, and he's come along quite nicely. But then there's the other side of it, too. I mean, I don't I don't know how to really phrase this. I don't really know how to get a grip on this. I, I don't think it really matters that much. Great players sometimes start out of the gate, and some great players don't start right out of the gate. I, I don't know that it really matters. I, I mean, what it matters most importantly is the wins on the court immediately. If a guy can help win right now, 
for example, I guess Shea is a good example of this. Like you point out, yeah, play him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think Shea is a little bit unique in the way that he's kind of already a complimentary guy who's got some good size, some good defense, and can play that role for the Clippers. I don't know. I, I don't want to get back into the Jason Anderson article too much, but I will say he puts forward this comparison between McCall Bridges and James Harden, where he says McCall has been starting all these games, and look, he's only averaging eight points per game, but James Harden his first year and and look he look how good he is now that feels like a misnomer to me like a miss a, a misinterpretation i mean i don't think james harden is as good as he is today because he his rookie year ron james started every game he played in his his rookie year i don't think that he would have been any less good or wouldn't it be better i don't think that it really matters in the long run what it matters to is the is the is the record is the bottom line of the team? I don't think Fox was ready to bring more wins to the Kings in his first twenty games. Yeah, so great, you know. And I, I think at a certain point, I kind of just want to throw my hands up in the air and be like, "Listen, Dave Yeager has away, and I'm not going to sit here and second guess him. And I'm also not going to say that he's the greatest coach in the league and that he's." beyond reproach i mean i think that bagley is getting great run right now and and i starting or not i i think that he's getting good looks i think he's getting plenty of opportunity and great and yeah of course i would like his dad to probably calm down a little bit but i'm not gonna see that as the end of the world either yeah and you know i understand it's his dad like, of course, he wants to see his son who super hyped up, debatably number one pick, went number two above some of these great hyped up guys like Luca, Trey Young. Of course, he wants to see his son play 40 minutes a night, um, but it, it just wasn't going to happen on this team. And so I understand where his dad's coming from. I don't think there's anything to really read into with that necessarily. Vlade was saying as long as he doesn't take it too far, which I'm completely on board with. But just to kind of highlight how Bagley's been doing in less minutes than the rest of these rookies, but compared to his class, he's still fifth in points per game behind Luca, Trey Young, Colin Sexton, who's quietly having a really good year, and DeAndre Ayton. And he's third in rebounds behind Ayton and Doncic. And in total free throws attempted, and th- keep in mind, Bagley's only played 58 games this year. He's missed a good amount. Luca and Trey Young are the only two with more free throws attempted total. And Luca's pay, played nearly 800 more total minutes than Bagley. And Trey Young's played 950 more total minutes. So it's really nice for a Kings team that kind of struggles to get the line a little bit that Bagley clearly excels at that. And to me, that also kind of shows that people have trouble guarding him, of course. I mean, Obviously, I want to see his free throw percentage go up. I think that he works on that. He's still a rookie. He's got a lot to improve, but it it has still been extremely promising what we've seen from Bagley in his rookie year. That's a great stat. That's a great pull, Brendan. You know, I think that one of the biggest concerns with the Kings going forward and in the recent past has been getting to the line. I'm loving that. I had no idea. So, that's a fantastic sign for this Kings team that they've got someone who's going to more regularly. And like you said, I mean, you know, like we've discussed, his free throw percentage could be better, but it's it's not a disaster. I mean, he's certainly got a better line than Willie Cauley-Stein. So, oh, yeah. you know, you want, you want to see that up around 75% hopefully next year, but that'll come with time too, hopefully. And yeah, I mean, his three-point shot's been falling too, so that's a good indicator he probably can can get it done from the free throw line. He can get there and then he can convert it. That's that's massive. Yeah. And if you look at his per 36, which I mean, sometimes is a little weird because you can be more efficient, you play less minutes type thing. Um, but it looks just as good as these other guys. Uh 21 points, 10 and a half rebounds, Aiton sitting at 19 and 12, Doncic who obviously has just been a freak this year. 23, eight and a half, six assists. 
Um, I mean, he looks as good as any other rookie in this class, and I don't think that there's a reason to be upset with the amount of plays he's getting. There was an interview on, I forget the name of the show, where they were talking to, they were talking to the top, four of the top five picks. They sat down with Aiton, Bagley, Trey Young, and Jaron Jackson. And everyone was talking about how they were starting and everything and asking these questions, asked it to the three other guys and skipped over Bagley. But then they're actually able to ask Bagley, what is it like to be in the playoff hunt? And all the other guys just had to sit there and be quiet. And to me, being able to have that experience is a lot more important than seeing five minutes more on the floor a night. So I got no worries about what Bagley eventually progresses into. He's going to be one of the superstars of this team. One of the guys I wanted to point out real quick regarding some of the free throw stuff, especially the inability to get to the line. I didn't notice this until the other day, but out there and and ask you to take a guess at what Costa Kufos's free throw percentage has been this year. Well, I can think of one that he splashed last night. So, and I would guess that it's low, but I feel like since you're asking, it's probably better than I would expect. Give me, let's go with a 70, 77%. His current free throw percentage on the year is 43.5%. And that's up because of a, a, a recent upward trend, but it was down, it was at 38% when I checked last week. And that was lower than the field goal percentage for every single player on the Kings. Man, I was way too generous <laughs> there. I was hoping, crossing my fingers, that he made like 14 of the 20 he shot on the season or something. Well, that's the issue, too, is that he just never gets to the line. And I know that Costa is is not an essential part of this team. But, I mean, that's a guy that we paid this year to be a part of the team he was part of that trade that ended up in the 2019 first round pick going away not a direct part but he would the the point of that trade was to clear out money to sign players one of those players was costa kufos uh and he only got to the line times per 36 minutes this season only 2.3 times across his career per 36 minutes that's weak uh Bagley's up over six six free throw attempts a game, or excuse me, per 36. So yeah, I mean, now you've got a functional big man. Obviously one, hopefully two with Giles. Unfortunate that he him this season, but this I wanted to transition into talk about some of the more peripheral guys on this team. Uh, we saw Caleb Swanigan's debut, glorious debut last night. That is a big guy. Big fella. Yeah, there was That's a guy a behind fight. me in the stadium just screaming, get the ball to Swanigan. He can body anybody. And that's really what it looked like. And I was kind of sad they didn't try to do it a little bit in the end. Um, but he's big. I-, I was reading his draft profile again. Apparently he was 350 pounds in middle school and dropped down like crazy, obviously. To me, he does look a little bigger than what I thought he looked like. Uh, when he first got drafted by Portland. But just reading his profile, and then you can kind of tell me what you've seen from G League so far. It was a 7-2 wingspan, which helps since he's not exactly athletic. He's not going to be one that's necessarily getting up, and he's not quick. So that can make up for it on the defensive end, but that's not his strength. It's mainly going to be offense, bodying people, getting position, a great rebounder from what I've seen because of that being bigger and box people out. And in his sophomore season in high school, it looked like he got a decent vision out of the post and had some nice passing because when you're a big body like that, you're obviously going to get doubled in the post. And if you can pass out a little bit, that does a lot and takes your game to another level. It's interesting that that is his scouting report because I'm not really seeing that at least in the past couple of years. I I get that hasn't played that much, so maybe he's got some skills that have yet to come to the surface, but he's been a massive disappointment in the NBA so far. I don't see how he's going to be effective offensively. 
little to no stretch to his game. He's not athletic. And, but he's not a, not a tall guy. He's a big guy, not a tall guy. He strikes me as four in a lot of ways. I, I'm not convinced that he can defend opposing centers, which kind of unfortunately makes him a four. I think ideally he would need to play the five, but I don't know that he has the bounce to play the five. Yeah. Do you think he could defend? even opposing fours. Like I understand not being able to defend fives, but for me, a lot of fours now are looking at they're on the perimeter and I would really worry about him being out there. Right. Well, exactly. I I don't see him being able to defend modern fours, which is a real problem. Like this is why I think he would need to play center. And unfortunately he doesn't generate any I mean, he is not a block artist whatsoever. Uh, let me run down some stats for you here. I enjoy gamifying these a little bit. You think his field goal percentage, his total field goal percentage NBA career is right now? Um, I mean, I feel like he's not stretching very much, so maybe decent. Give me... I mean, like a 40, 43% somewhere in there. 43% would be pretty poor for a guy who's essentially just taking shots at the rim or around the rim. Yeah. That would be generous because he is connected on 36.2% of his field goal attempts. That is insanely low. Insanely low. I, I don't know. I, I'd have to. Look this up, but I'd be su- surprised if there were many guys his size have shot that low across their career. And if they did, I'm sure their career was very short because, I mean, when you're, when you're essentially, oper- essentially operating only around the basket, that's poor. So the concern here is his ability to translate from college into the pros. I'll give you his other per 36 numbers here. 10.2 points. Not great. Not, not something, not a, not a great sign. Uh, offense, you know, you mentioned a guy who he generating a lot of his value in offense. 10.2 points per 36. Not great. 11.5 rebounds. That's nice. I think that's where he would most of his value from is, you know, kind of cleaning the boards like that, but Unfortunately, if you don't, if you can't play center, then I mean, what's the benefit of a rebounding four? You know, th- I think that I see his ceiling as kind of an Ed Davis type, just a rebounding specialist, purely rebounding specialist. Uh, but again, 0.3 blocks per 36. That's not, that's not a guy that can play center. No. And However, the difference between the Ed Davis is, I mean, there's some height to Ed Davis, and like you're saying, there is a little bit of defense there also. Yeah, that's a ceiling. That's a best-case scenario, I think, for Swanigan. Yeah. You know, I will acknowledge that that is a small sample size. He ha- he didn't get that much run in Portland. Obviously, virtually no run in Sacramento, none outside of last night. G League stats here. So he has played in the G League for... Sacramento uh, since acquired and he, he's been, you know, so we're, I want to talk about a lot of these guys. Um, I want to talk about Caleb here and then go on to Cody Demps, Wenyan Gabriel, and we can talk a little bit of Troy Williams and then the recent signing BJ Johnson. Swanigan's G League stats per game so far, 12 and a half boards, but only 0.6 blocks and only 45% percentage and that's not great i mean if you're again you're taking your shots around the rim and this is in the g league you got to be connecting around 50 percent if you're going to be kind of 55 on this year exactly if you're a ground bound post bound center type you got to make around half of your shots uh and that's not been the case for swanigan so i don't feel great about that and remember these numbers they feel good 15 and 12 that feels good but it's the g league you got to remember that yeah um so 
I'm seeing him kind of as as a little bit lost as a tweener there between the four and the five. Maybe he's got some elite rebounding skills one day, maybe, but uh, he's still young. The the weight thing, I don't want to. I just want to be careful not to like what it thick shame him. But yeah, I mean, he doesn't look like he's in the greatest shape of his career either. So um, hopefully, hopefully things will get better. But a lot of guys really liked, a lot of fans really liked Scal. And so that trade was mystifying for a lot of Kings fans and for me. But I felt like Scal, uh, maybe I can talk about Scal here for a minute. Did you have any thoughts on, on Scal before he left? Um, Not really. I mean, I saw all the hype behind him and everything. To me, that trade was just both teams saying that they weren't playing very much, then didn't fit in those situations, and just hoping that both guys could benefit from a change of scenery. Sure. I think that was a big part of it. I think the savings the Kings got out of that deal is an underrated aspect of it. It's unfortunate. I have like a little bit of a fear that the Kings traded Scal because they wanted to stop being pressured to play him. And they just wanted, they wanted to move on from Scal, like just literally didn't feel like he was going to do much and, and were ready to, to just get him out of town so that they can say, listen, we, we moved him on from him for a little bit of savings and we've got a new guy in here and, and let's, let's reset the expectations for this, this backup big. Yeah. Actually wrote a piece that recommended the Kings trade Scal last summer and of all the articles I've ever written, all the posts I've ever uh, put out there, the biggest negative lash uh, uh, back I ever got was for suggesting the Kings trade Scal. And I was suggesting they try to trade him to Denver for that uh, lottery protected first that they were shopping uh, just to clear clear a bunch of money for Denver and, and to try to get things. And then I also, another name I threw out there was to try to swap him for Dwayne Bacon, who has recently gone off for the Hornets. So, and people were furious with me. They wanted my head to suggest that I wanted a first round pick instead of Scal. And now we're here with Swanigan. Now here we are. But regardless, um, let's talk about Cody Demps a little bit. What do you, do you, what do you know about Cody Demps? I know that he's a local guy that everyone really likes him. I believe he's from Sac State. Um, he's one of the guys I'm not all too familiar with. I've seen some of the highlights from this nice little G League run. He looked decently athletic to me, um, but I'm not too educated on him. So you're going to have to break it down a little bit for me. You're right on that he is a Sac State guy. He's a local guy. Went to high school in Elk Grove. You know, I honestly, so I want, I, I, I want to be really respectful and positive and, and show love because I think that he's guy and I think that he, his attitude is awesome and he totally deserves to get a shot with the Kings and he totally deserved that thousand that he made from, from that 10 day contract, basically doubled his salary on the year. But I don't think you need to know much more about Cody Demps um, reg- if we're talking about his impact uh, on the Kings. Now, continue to develop and grow as a player. He was a multi-sport guy in high school and college, so that is a little more learning of the game to do because he, he hasn't always been a 100% basketball guy. Uh, but he is 25 years old some basic IQ I don't know if issues is the right word but he he fouls a lot uh, I don't know that he has any NBA level skill any elite skill uh, his line from the G League was 11.8 points 4.8 rebounds 3.3 assists 1.1 steals 0.3 blocks from the field about 31.5% from three None of that really jumps out at you. And unfortunately, if you're not going to put up at least one statistic in the G League that jumps out at you, I don't know of an optimistic view uh, 
on your effect in the NBA. So ultimately, I think this was his due uh, as a member of the Sacramento area landscape and and much props to him but I think this was that's pretty much what this was and 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 you know also listed at 64 not a point guard you know not not really enough size to play the wing so I think that he's kind of just um just lost in between some roles there and and unfortunately um much love to Cody I think that he would be a great guy to keep around in the, on the Stockton team maybe for the you know maybe for his career until he, he gets gets another shot um, on a 10-day somewhere. But that's about all I have on Cody. I want to talk about Wendon Gabriel now, two-way for the Kings all year. We saw him in Summer League. Did you catch any of that action um, here at the California Classic? I did. I actually managed to go to that whole weekend. That was a really good time. That's really what made me fell for this Kings team this year. Like That, that, that won me over. But Gabriel was really impressive um a lot of what i saw was that he's versatile but it didn't look like he necessarily had one thing that was his specialty that he excelled at but he had really good energy um kind of the opposite a little bit and never mind i don't want to go into that um it was just i really liked the energy that i saw from him and he could do a little bit of everything so there's promise there and he's fairly young i believe right yeah, 22 years old, 6'9", 205. So, yeah, rangy is is a good word for him. You kind of look at him and you're like, man, I, I wish he could play the three. Uh, actually, the, the draft guy over at Sacktown Royalty, Bryant West, uh, had some, some visions of him as a small forward option, uh, especially when the Kings were really starved for forwards uh, early in the year. I'm not sure that he's got that type of perimeter game. He has been hitting 37% of his threes, which is up from earlier in the year. Volume is very low. He's being played as a center in the G League, uh, but not really the size for that either. 205 pounds. Yeah. So a tweener again, a, a tweener kind of guy. But and I don't know if this is what you were going to say about Swanigan but kind of like the opposite of Swanigan where he's kind of stuck in that four or five, but not enough body. Yeah. I would worry about his strength, you know, in the post, really his ability to defend fives. Like again, he should probably defend big men, but don't know that he has the strength for it. And um, again, a big high, high volume fouls guy. He couldn't stay on the court early in the, the season in Stockton due to foul issues. Uh kind of kind of got a whole kind of got a skinny leg thing going on, but again, young, maybe growing to that body. So um and and also just want to again, like this dude is is a great guy. Like he is beloved by his teammates, uh both in Stockton and in Sacramento. So I've read extremely intelligent off the court. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of places for high energy guys. And like you said, extremely young. They, he could eventually work his way onto some 10 day contract. And then maybe, I mean, at the very least, he's on a two, uh, two way right now. I could see him eventually working his way onto an NBA roster. Sure. And I think you'll see more of him in Sacramento, specifically. You know, over the summer and in Stockton as well, I think that he's going to stick around for a while until he's potentially one of those rosters, um, or or you know, or just turns the corner. So, I wanted to talk about Troy Williams, who obviously we saw a lot of earlier in the season. I think that Brewer kind of limited the need for Troy Williams. Yeah, and I see Brewer as kind of uh, well a definite upgrade there. I think just some some of the veteran, the wiliness and the intelligence, and I, I I'm just like I'm having a full on love affair with Corey Brewer. So this is not a knock on Troy Williams. Yeah, I mean I don't blame you. To me, Troy Williams does remind me of that Corey Brewer, minus a little bit of the IQ that just comes with the experience. 
but I really liked the same thing with Gabriel. I really liked the energy from him. I felt like his defense was halfway decent, that he could hit his shots a little bit. And from what I've seen, he's kind of been the leading scorer of that G League team, right? Yeah, he's been absolutely right up there. He is, this is what you want to see from a guy in the G League, right? If you want a guy that's going to be spot in the rotation for an NBA team, he's got a flash in the G League, and that's what he's done. He's almost hitting that 20 points per game mark, uh, got some nice rebound numbers, and the steals are really high, which that's another huge indicator of a, of an NBA ready defender. You got to be, you got to be dirty on defense in the G League. And he is always the first to the floor. Man, I am just now remembering a quote. Williams, I, I, I would have to dig it out of Twitter somewhere, but this quote that like made me fall in love with Troy Williams at the time, that was something like, I'm always first to the floor. You know, my mother told me, like, you, you better be on that floor before anybody else. And I was like, hell yeah, Troy Williams. Like, that's how you play basketball. An energy guy, for sure, has that size of a prototypical wing, the 6'7", 215. And that is what I think this team is looking for. I don't know if they retain Brewer. I hope that they do retain Brewer. But I think that's also kind of the thought with B.J. Johnson. I have not seen B.J. Johnson play. So this is going straight up off the numbers, but the numbers look similar to that type of player, 6'7", 200 pounds, 23 years old. Um, he is putting up similar types of numbers, you know, over 15 points a game, over five rebounds, got some nice steal numbers, some blocks occasionally. And then the thing that probably got the Kings to bite on BJ is the 34.4% on, on three-pointers. That's 4.4 attempts per game. A lot of fours in there, but essentially three on four and a half attempts per game. Now, if you get a guy who has that size, that clear small forward size, who can hold his own on defense and hit, you know, even anywhere near that on three, that's a guy that you could stick in the rotation. So um, I don't know that Kings fans will get a look at him just yet is almost over and he is has been allowed to remain in the G League and continue uh, the playoffs with the Lakeland Magic. But, you know, the Kings got got his ear for sure and, and are probably going to get him in, take a look at him more closely. Hopefully that works out and hopefully he's a guy that maybe we see him on the Stockton Kings, King to start next year. Uh, maybe we see him in the, the California Classic or Summer League or something in exhibitions, practices. Maybe he gets a spot on the roster who knows? But it, he seems like a, a nice flyer with that extremely high three-point percentage. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you'll be able to make room for in the corner for someone that can shoot nearly 45% from range. And like you said, as long as you can hold your own on defense, there's a lot of need for some switchable wing guys, 3 and D defenders. So like you said, maybe eventually that we see him on this NBA roster. Um, Kind of what I wanted to work into a little bit here is a little bit of a hypothetical saying that the Kings were a playoff team this season. They would be somewhere between six to nine, uh, five to eight. And meaning they play one of those top three teams in Golden State, Denver, Houston. How would that really go? And just looking at the regular season against those teams, against Western Conference playoff teams in general, they were nine and 18. Obviously not very good, but those Golden State games, all very memorable this year. Only lost by one point the first game, five the second, four after that, and then two, a negative 12 total in four games and four losses. Those were all really close games, and somehow it feels like Golden State would have been the best matchup for this team, which is obviously crazy because Golden State's debatably the best roster of all time right now. Um, and we saw how Houston is. We went into that a little bit, a negative 80 point difference between all of them. Only one game that the Kings really felt like they had a chance to win going down the stretch. That was rough against Denver. It was a little better, but kind of in between the two still 0-3 lost by 14, four points, and then two to end it. So you, you were in position to win all those games at some point, but you didn't come out with any wins against those top three teams. 
you closed out this season 0 of 11 against those. So, I mean, if we really were going into a playoff series against these guys, what's the chance we even take a game, really? I mean, obviously, it's a different environment. You don't know what the rotations are going to be like, but it, it would be great to get that playoff experience, of course, but I just don't, I don't know if we'd take one game two at the very most. Good question. These are great stats, too. The 0 for 11 closing out the season against these three teams, that is, that's rough stuff. I'm sure that Coach Yeager is acutely and keenly aware of that record and probably has a lot to say about it. I cannot imagine a scenario where this team gets swept in the playoffs. And, and I, and maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I think with the youth, with the legs, with the pace, run any of these teams to death on, on one given night. Yeah. I think that that just happens. I think you get, this team would get up. You know what I mean? This team would have too much. Yeah. The energy in the stadium would be crazy. Particularly against the Warriors. I mean, it would not surprise me at all. You know, depending on the, on the line on the game, I'd probably bet on the Kings, uh, for game one because I think that's like, you just, you bet on the adrenaline coursing through these guys. Um, you know, the Warriors have been there so many times and they're, they'd be ready to kind of sleepwalk through it. I think what would probably end up happening is the Kings steal a game and then, lose the next four, something like that, you know, but yeah, uh, I, I think I would, I mean, I would have done anything to see that, that Warriors Kings matchup in the first round. And I would have bet anything they don't get swept out of that series. However, like that, uh, two games maybe is a maximum. And even that feels lofty. I don't see any real chance that this team would have won a playoff series. Uh, but again, I mean, where we're at this is not where the king's team is at and I, I don't think that that would have been viewed as a disappointment i think that this is this is who the kings are right now and that's totally fine and i i have no issue with them if they were to have made the playoffs to get you know kind of bodied in five games yeah it definitely would have still been a success don't get me wrong i would have loved to make the playoffs just it's interesting that Outside of that, you know, they still they would have had a nine and seven record against the other teams in the league in in the Western Conference playoff race. Um, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on guys that you think the playoff rotation would be. Obviously, when playoff comes around, rotations shrink a lot. You see eight nine man rotations. Obviously, you got your starting lineup. You got Fox, Buddy Barnes, Belly, Willie Cauley Stein which even though I wouldn't like to see Willie Cauley-Stein get crazy minutes, uh, you would kind of have to have that happen. Bagley, I think Brewer's able to play that. A big question for me is, do you think that Giles would be ready to see some playoff minutes? And I think that no matter what, you would want to get him that experience if you got there. But would he really be ready to be in that type of playoff environment, a seven-game series? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that Giles still struggles with a lot of the requirements for big men in the league. Uh, the the defending down low, the rebounding he has had, you know, we're kind of removed from it at this point in the season, but boy, he had some real, real bad foul problems yeah. early on. I mean, he had more, there was a certain point in the season where he had had plenty of run, but he had more fouls than, made baskets and it was it was a serious issue he had something like nine fouls for 36 minutes uh for a while there (laughs) that's like kind of impressive yeah it's it's like well he'll never play 36 minutes like that's just you can't even that's a real problem if you can't hit that mark because you just will foul out of the game that's a real real problem um but obviously he's come around since then and obviously he wouldn't playing the playoffs since he has been shut down for the year. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I, I don't see him having a positive effect in a playoff series right now. I, I'm not like too worried about that. 
I don't know that Bagley would have a real positive effect. I think he would have a positive effect relative to the rest of his team in a playoff series. But is he ready to go on a, in a playoff series? No, not yet. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think that the rotation you pretty much have it down. So would you throw Kufis in there since you're seeing a little bit of less of Bagley Giles? You kind of need that backup big. Yeah, I mean. I think that, jeez, it's rough. I don't, I, it's all rough. I I don't want to see Willie Colley Stein in a playoff series, but no. but but then again, maybe you know, maybe he is motivated by stage and by a potential payday. Maybe he does do something. So, I mean, I I guess what I would have done would try to tighten up the guard rotation to Fox, Buddy, Bogey. You know, just keep it three guard rotation if you can. Sprinkle in a little bit of Yogi, like you know, maybe for a four minute burst here and there, and just tell him to, you know, do his best Sonic the Hedgehog impression and just yeah, like exactly. sprint, just like yeah, just like break world records, like you know, put your forty, you know, like put on that. Let's see that four that four three forty yard dash out there, and um, yeah, but I would try to tighten it up to Fox Buddy Bogey as guards. I think you play. Barnes as the three, obviously, to start. And I think you see a real, real big dose of Corey Brewer. I think that he would probably, probably be the sixth or seventh man. I mean, I, I might even trust him more than, than Bogey as the sixth man. But you you put Brewer out there 24 minutes a night. Then you, you have Barnes play half the game at three and then try to sneak him up to the four for 12 minutes, something like that. Yeah pressure off of needing Kufos in there. You you pull Willie out when he's floundering. I think you got to play Bagley some, of course. And then, um, yeah, you hope Bielitsa gets hot from deep. And I guess you call that a playoff squad. Unfortunately, that's just exercise more than anything. Just kind of shows that the Kings aren't ready for the playoffs this year. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, on the Brewer, on Brewer's role there? I think that you're right with that. I think Brewer would see a lot because I think that he's capable defensively, that he can do his role on on offense, you know, which is really just hitting open threes, cutting in the right spots. Interestingly, I think he had five offensive rebounds last night, which a lot of it came in garbage time, but that was that was interesting. It's just kind of what Brewer does. You know, he's a bit of a hustle guy. I really think that come a playoff rotation, maybe not that six man, but I could see it I would say second guy off the bench behind bogey or behind Bagley something like that I think what it really shows is that this is why we talk about we need another wing obviously we're going to need a center to replace Collie Stein assuming we don't bring him back and that backup point guard because I don't really like bogey having all the ball handling responsibilities on the second unit and what are you going to do when Fox is out like if we had a Beverly there like we've talked about or a Corey Joseph something like that I mean, bringing in those two guys and really contributors that can make an impact later and say we do make a playoff push, that those guys can make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, can you imagine like Brewer and and Pat Bev like off the bench? And that's just you just give your you give your starters such a break because those guys can come into the game and just grind down uh, opposing offenses, and especially if you get a guy. Uh, a big man who can come in and protect the rim. You basically can you can slow the game down and and let your starters, you know, get their legs back while while the second unit just like just destroys uh, opposing offenses. So, um, I think we touched on some great stuff today, uh, man. I, I'm still kind of blown away by the sweeps from the the Warriors, the Nuggets, and the Rockets. I didn't I didn't realize that that was how bad it got against the very top teams in the West. But one thing I will say is that step forward for the Kings this season, really huge, is that they do take care of the teams they're supposed to take care of. Obviously you're not going to be undefeated against the bottom uh the bottom of the league, but I mean they handled their business against teams that they were supposed to handle their business against or supposed to is kind of a loaded term for this team because they were probably supposed to not handle their business against anybody. So overall, I mean, that's a leap that I feel satisfied with this Kings team making. And I, I just want to make sure that that 
is continued going forward. I'm not so much worried about beating the Nuggets and the the Rockets and the Warriors going forward. This king is established as better than that bottom tier of teams, and they can feast on them, and they can get up to that 40-41 win mark hopefully this year and get up to hopefully 44-45 in the next uh, year or two. I'm going to need to hear you knock on some wood right now because I'm I'm feeling like tomorrow night we're going to be losing to to the Cavs. And then we got the Pelicans coming up. I, I feel like you just jinxed it, man. Is that picking up? It is. That? It is. <laughs> That's a lot. Of, yeah, I'm all over my Ikea furniture right now. There we go. There we go. All right, we're good. We're in the clear. <laughs> Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse NBA podcast with Brendan and Rich. We will be back with our next episode on Friday with a guest from Sacktown Royalty. So stay tuned for that one. And thank you for listening to this episode.